Gorgeous George and Goes, are you ready? Junkie Nation, are you ready? Well, let's get it on. From the fight capital of the world, Las Vegas, Nevada, this is MMA Junkie Radio. We roll it! What's going on, Junkie Nation? Gorgeous George and Goes are back here on a Sunday night for your Monday morning delivery. Excited to talk to you for the next hour or so as we discuss the latest in mixed martial arts. We got UFC on ESPN 47 to talk about with Sean Strickland in that main event, taking home a big dub. And of course, it's fight week, folks, because uh, UFC 290 is upon us. It's fight week. It's international fight week. So this week is going to be hectic, but it's going to be pretty uh, special and historic in many ways. Of course, it's attached to the Hall of Fame, and they honestly have themselves a really, really nice card. We we, we call it like it is over here at Junkie Radio. Many times we've locked on and said, what is going on in Vancouver with Amanda Nunes and that card? You know, not that great. Of course, the fights, fight night turned out to be pretty good, but... This one's pretty solid on paper, so we'll go over that. We got an interview with John Anik, and of course, the latest news. We'll be right back to start the show. Now, I know we're a worldwide show, but... We have a large American-based audience, so I just want to wish you all a happy 4th of July. It's early. It's today's July 2nd. Like I said, it's Sunday night. It's July 3rd for many in other parts of the world, but it's for us. It's July 2nd, and we won't. you won't hear from us until after the holiday. So please be safe. Have fun. Enjoy it. It really is a cool holiday, man. As a kid, I remember fireworks, fireworks and barbecue. You know, um, whether it was us lighting them in the street days before, days after, and of course, day of, or just turning around to face Disneyland, uh, pretty much get a show every day at 9.30 p.m., but uh, oftentimes we would go to sporting events and, and see fireworks shows there. You have good memories, Ghost, of 4th of the July weekend? Yeah, I think when people talk about their favorite um, holidays, Christmas always gets thrown to the forefront. But really, if you think of like some of your best meals and just some of your good times, it's hard to argue with Fourth of July because it's such a versatile holiday. You could stay home or you could go out. You could be on a boat. There's so many different things you can do on the Fourth of July. And I like it. I I have a lot of good memories of the Fourth of July. Um, Sometimes, you know, it starts off as a little kid, you know, with fireworks. It's all about fireworks. And then you get to that age where you you start manipulating your fireworks so they (laughs) explode or, or take off and, and then after that uh it just uh you start to calm down a little bit but i, I like the fourth of july for a while we had a run of going to uh, la galaxy games on the fourth yeah. we'd watch a game then there'd be a concert and then a fireworks show like seriously i i uh i had a good time at those as well and i want to give a shout out this guy will never hear the show i haven't talked to him in over 30 years i think but there was a guy named Eric Kudel, and we worked together at Sears, and then we dated two girls from the same family. So he was cool. We got along. 
But I remember him going, hey, dude, because we lit fireworks at their house, at that family's house. He goes, hey, dude, you know how to um, how to stuff a piccolo Pete? And I'm like, of course. <laughs> but I really didn't. I go, of course. It's been a while. He goes, oh, I got you. I got you. And so then I remember he got a hammer and kind of smashed one end of just a pickle of heat. Pickle of heats are actually pretty fun. You know, they, they give you a little bit of spark and then they give you the whistle. Right. All right. Cool. It's, it's actually you usually get eight in a box or something and you hear them all across the neighborhood. But this dude uh, would hammer it on one side and then all of a sudden this thing turned uh, a lot more lethal. It was pretty cool. It was fun. You know, well, teenagers and you so hammer it you know, and then you tape it. And yeah, then, I don't remember, I don't remember exactly what happened with it. I just remember there was a hammer and then he had to go through a little process and yeah. Oh, dude. So yeah, you hammer it, you tape it on the bottom. And then when you light it versus it just standing there and screaming, now it's like a rocket and it just takes yes. off, but you have no idea in what direction it's going to go. So and then at but the then end wasn't there like an up. explosion at the end? Yeah. Yeah, I remember one year I went un- into somebody's backyard. Another year, it like almost went into the neighbor's house. Like, it, it was it was pretty funny. Can you imagine if it would have shot into like a um, someone's um, muffler or something? Yeah. <laughs> Holy cow! I think of all the times I've had close calls in my life, man. There's been some dumb ones, but um, that would have been one hell of a way to go. And guess what, folks? We're not crazy. Goes and myself, you and my buddies, uh, junkies and me, everyone exchanges these, exchanges these videos. I always call them Derek Lewis type videos because he was the first guy I remember just putting them on his Instagram. Uh, just the wackiest things happening all over the planet. Well, now they happen daily, it seems like. And uh, hell, just two days ago, my buddy Woody sent me one, which I think I had sent to others. Some guys are. It looks like they're having a uh, firework day and it's in the front yard. And the next thing you know, uh, there's like an explosion. And have you seen that one in the in the front yard? And then it gets to a car and then it like just really, really becomes. I'll see. Oh, oh, where um, I haven't seen the whole thing. I started it. It's where like a bunch of people are sitting in lawn chairs. Right. And they start getting mm-hmm. lit up little by little. Yeah. It, it escalates from that. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, shit. OK, I got to finish that. It does. Yeah. Uh, then there's some guys in a backyard, and this one sounds. I thought I heard some accents. So sometimes I just watch them real quick with the with with the mute down or the, uh you know with the volume down or low, and I'm watching like you know I was watching NASCAR earlier, and so they're going through their the yellow flag. So I'll maybe scroll real fast, and it's a problem I have where I don't isolate the one task that I'm doing, and so I don't take it all in. And then people go, where were they again? And I'm like, I don't know. I didn't hear the accent. I mean, I, it sounded British, but I don't want to just say that because I might confuse it with another video. But going back to what I was saying, man, there really was some close calls um, from tomfoolery, right? Mm-hmm. So I guess that's just my way of saying, folks, stuff can go down. Just be careful. Enjoy the holiday. But let's get to the start of the show. We'll put last weekend to bed and then focus on this weekend. And don't forget, we'll be talking to UFC play-by-play commentator John Anik, one of our favorites uh, over the years. And so, UFC on UFC on ESPN forty-seven. 
I was confused because it was uh, hashtag UFC Fight Night 76 or something like that. It's called so many different things. And uh, this took place this past weekend. And honestly, goes, I had a good time, man. Look, the star power wasn't there. There was a few names that one would recognize, but there wasn't that many either. But I think we got ourselves some new players, and they got mm-hmm. put over by performing well versus some of these old school names uh, or just putting one on one hell of a, of a performance. So I'll, I'll give you an example. Alexander Romanov and Lagoy Ivanov goes, these guys fought at 1 p.m. Strickland and Abus Magomedov probably didn't go out till 6.30. It's a long day of fights, but these heavyweights went at it. But Romanov, dude, he's developed some striking. So not, not only is he like a baby Huey, looking fella all of 265 and 6'5 or whatever the hell he is i mean obviously if he's laying on top of you you got problems right but now this dude can strike and uh Bogoy Ivanov, who, who's i think they're calling him a zombie i can't think of a better word than that one he actually <laughs> got he actually got thumped man yeah that dude that guy's pretty amazing and especially uh you know when you think about heavyweights and their lifespan and just how much damage they I can't imagine how much they dish out and how much they take in, but you're right. It's like so quickly you could forget about somebody and just start talking about someone else. And there were quite a few of those on this card, but overall I, I enjoyed the fights. I thought they were really good, man. Top to bottom. Luana Carolina put it on Ivana Petrovic. Both ladies are fun to watch on the feet, but the, the difference here was Luana on the ground. Uh, made a difference here at women's flyweight. And I think I said it about a year ago, women's flyweight is slowly overtaking women's strawweight. I said for years, women's strawweight was the best. And that's when the Bantam weights was popping, uh, you know, and then obviously Tate, Rousey, a few of them just sailed off into the sunset. I guess Tate is back. And so it kind of wasn't the same. And then Amanda, of course, was just ruling the place, right? Mm-hmm. And then they created flyweight, so they stole a few straw weights, they fo- stole a few bantam weights, and they were slowly coming along. And then Valentina was kind of doing what Amanda was doing, except the flyweight. Um, but strawweight was just insane. A lot of stars, a lot of rotation, a lot of you know, just great finishes. But now flyweights, it's really got a lot of talent, and throw Luana Carolina in that match. Uh Elvis Renner against Gurum Kutala Desi. I hope I said that right. That was a fun fight. Dude, this Kutala Desi guy, he just looks like, I know he's balding and losing his hair or whatever, but he looks like just, we'll just say, oh, man. You know what I mean? He looked like a man fighting a boy, like a teenage boy. Mm -hmm. Because Elvis kind of has that look where all those guys had to shoot the box, they dye their hair, you know? And then he had his tan going. He had a little bit more of a, of a baby face. And mm-hmm. so I was looking at him going, oh, man, look at Gurum's nose. He's been in some fights. This dude is going to be a, a horse, you know. And he kind of was, honestly. But Elvis is a scrapper. Man, well, I'll tell you what, guys. I'm a fan of Elvis. I'm a fan of Elvis. He was fun to watch. He would not go away. And then he actually put away Ur- uh, Gurum and um and. I'm not saying he became a star. He's just became someone I'm going to remember and I'm going to be excited about the next time they put him on a card. Right. Uh, Didn't it look like one of them videos on the internet where like uh, a father has to come out and check a kid or something, you know? Yes. Like a teenager. 
That's exactly what it looked like, man. And and it, the, the teenager looked scared at the beginning of the fight, but he would not go away, man. These guys, I mean, dude, that grown guy was, the only thing I didn't like was it looked like he throws this 12 to 6 elbow that you don't see too much because it's illegal. So mm-hmm. I love that he was cutting them up with all kinds of different elbows, and that's why the blonde hair turned red. But he does have this 12 to 6 that he did once while they were standing, and I think he got a warning, and then he did one on the ground. And so I would just say, bro, they're not asking for much. You can do one to 7 or 11 to 5, you know, like 12 to 6. We're talking about the clock. and But he really does do it almost in that motion where – he could cost himself a fight, you know what I mean? We had another right. finger poke, or eye poke, I should say. So just, you know, be cognizant of that. Don't, you know, uh, be careful, obviously, with, with, with your weapons. But, I mean, these guys really, really, it was a violent fight between Brenner and Girl, man. Hats off to both guys. Carol Rosa and Yana Santos, they went to a split decision. Carol Rosa came out ahead. Now, these ladies fought at featherweight. That was a close fight. Yeah, but it was contested a lot against the cage, which, you know, I won't even say it's personally not my favorite. I just don't think a lot of people really like it. It doesn't appeal to many people, especially when there's a lot of wall and stall. I don't mind Greco-Roman, like dirty boxing or knees, just some sort of activity. But I do find themselves at times where they're just... You know, there's no activity for a while. And when I say that, five to ten seconds, which almost feels like a minute or two to the consumer. Mm-hmm. They threw a lot of elbows in those clinches. And, you know, at the end, I think the takedown uh, was real important. But it was a close fight. Uh, Yana, she's so hard to gauge. You know, sometimes she'll come out and she'll have a decent performance. And sometimes it's just not so good. But in this particular fight... um, She's got to figure out what she needs, what she has to do out there. Like she lacks a little bit of explosion, I think, in her fight game. Because there's times where she looks crisp, her striking looks crisp, but mm-hmm. she just lacks explosion. Yeah. And at fighting at featherweight, I don't know if they requested this or the UFC did. Like, what's going on here, guys? Like, featherweight basically doesn't have a pulse, mm-hmm. you know, with the exception of if you were to tell me, oh, the UFC is buying PFL, and I'd say, yeah, I guess go ahead and bring those ladies over. Um, and I, I don't think I've heard that. So, like, what are we doing? These are they, – they should just get down at Bantamweight, you know what I mean? So, uh, I don't know. I don't know if this was a special request or, or, or why it was done. Um, but, you know, whatever. I'm not going to – I'm not going to, you know – it, it, I'm not going to lose sleep over it. So I, I know Shisan was supposed to fight, I think, Santos. And she pulled out and was replaced by Carol. So I just don't know if it was going to be a featherweight fight the whole time because Shisan has also missed weight. Santos um, has had a baby, you know, and maybe it had something to do with that. Do, do you know why, why they were fighting at featherweight? I don't know. Let me see if she's she fought Holly Holm earlier this year. So she's fought since being a mom. She fought Holly Holm at um Bantamweight. So I, I just kind of I don't know. I, I I'm not too sure why this one was at featherweight. Seems kind of ridiculous to me, but whatever. Okay. Um we continue. 
And I'm telling you, folks, this was really, really a great card. You should watch it on ESPN Plus if you haven't. Uh, Jefferson Brito defeated Weston Wilson. Just Jeff- Joe-, Joe Anderson Brito looked pretty damn good. Finished yeah, him with cool. KO in the KO with punches in the first round, and yet another violent finish. Really, when you think about it, this fight was more. Or sorry, this card was for hardcore fans. You know, luckily they're not like combating anything right now. You know, NBA's done, NFL's yeah. done, NHL's done. Now is I think when you can probably get away with these types of uh, cards mm-hmm. because the consumer just doesn't have as much things available to them right now. It's when these yeah. cards happen in the middle of all that that we get mad. And I was kind of shocked that the whole thing was on ESPN. Mm-hmm. So good for them. They made the most of it. Um. Except for those that cussed, which I have no problem with cussing, but just know it's going to get bleeped out. Yeah, so get find words, find words that you can still express yourself and make sure you're not like Sean Strickland at the end probably had, you know, a few epic things to say because he was coming off a, a great finish, but yet you just saw lips moving and it was getting, you know, it was getting censored. So. Well, um, we'll get to him in just a second. Renat uh, Frakwardinov defeated Kevin Lee. Kind of broke my heart a little bit. Kevin is a guy that used to co-host our show for two hours, at least half a dozen to ten times, somewhere in that range, six to ten times. He also went on a military visit with us, and when we see him at the gym, he's always a cool cat. I've always liked the guy. But he's lost like six of his last nine fights. Um, He's had some great wins. He got all the way to a interim title fight, which he was doing good at, by the way, against Tony Ferguson. And then that kind of started a little bit of a of a tailspin. So going into that fight, he was sixteen and two, and that put him at sixteen and three. Then he bounces back with a win over Edson Barbosa. Then he loses the ally of Quinta and Rafael Dos Anjos. Dos Anjos being a welterweight. Then he returns a lightweight and has an epic KO. Of Gregor Gillespie, one of the best I've ever seen in my life. So beating Gregor Gillespie and beating Edson Barbosa tells you he's still the player at lightweight. But mm-hmm. he goes up to, or sorry, he fights Charles Oliveira, who we didn't know. Chucky all is on the verge of becoming a beast. And Oliveira sends him packing. He goes up to welterweight, loses the D-Rod, beats Diego Sanchez over at um, Eagle FC because by then he was cut by the UFC. I think he got caught up in the whole Francis Ngannou CAA thing. And now, uh, 18 months later, he loses to Renat. And Renat, by the way, looked good, man. He put him down with the right hand and then choked him with a guillotine choke. As far as Kevin, though, I just, those guys are big, man, at 170. Um, I, I, I see him probably winning one, losing one, winning one, losing one, winning one, losing one. I mean, honestly, he goes, he's 0-3 as a welterweight. So I'm probably being generous there. When he fought Diego Sanchez, it was at 165. I've always said, I think there's room for those 55ers that are just too big to fight, but not have to fight those guys that are cutting from all the way from 200 because mm-hmm. those guys would probably fight at 175 and the 65 division could flourish with a lot of tweeners, we call them. But until that happens, Kevin just needs to reconsider 155, man. He's got to figure it out, though, because I don't even know if he has win one, lose one, win one, lose one in him. 
the UFC might just lose interest. I have to imagine uh, bringing him back. Maybe they they don't pay him as much as they used to, but he probably still commands a a pretty penny, and uh, he's still a name. But he needs to figure this out right now. Mm-hmm. And um, I really don't know what the answer is because you know he's ba- he's battled some personal demons and he's gone back and forth with that. He's switched camps before. He's gone to different places. He's gone to Florida. He's gone to uh, to Canada, right? Like, he's been to different places. I really don't know what it is for him, but whatever it is, he, he needs to figure it out right now because the rest of his career is really depending on this moment. I would agree. I hope he does. Um, I'm a Kevin Lee fan, but that was tough to watch. Um, that was the end of the prelims, and so now we get to the main card, Nur Sultan Ruziboev defeated Bruno Fajeda. Fajeda hadn't lost, and he was a favorite coming in. And he got KO'd, man, in the first round. And all of a sudden, Nur Sultan is also a player at middleweight along with Renat, you know, who defeated Kevin Lee and Joe Anderson Rito and Elvis Renner. You know, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, the, a lot of fighters kind of like just broke out of their shell. It was awesome. The, but see, so they're players, and you can run their highlights and all that, and that's what a lot of people are going to be talking about. But at the end of the day, if they can't grab the mic and make some noise, um, you know, there's knockouts every week. There's submissions every week. That's true. So you, uh, I don't know, in three weeks when we bring up these same names, are we all going to go, oh, yeah, the guy that did, you know, I don't know that we're going to remember that. The UFC... Well, Huh? Go, ahead. Go ahead. Well, the UFC does a great job of of turning people out, creating new new players. Mm-hmm. But I don't know if they're creating new stars and superstars, and that that's the problem. Is like, well, we remember these guys in three weeks, a month from now. We're all really happy about them today because it just happened. But uh, like, even, I'll, I'll give you. I mean, we're gonna get to this guy eventually, Morales, right, Mike Morales. Mm-hmm. He is very charismatic, and even though his English isn't top notch, there's something about him that makes you want to tune in. And I don't know that that we get that with some of these guys. Yeah, shout out to Ecuador. Seems like they have themselves a a, a player, another player, um, in the UFC. Huge, huge win for him. I get what you're saying, goes, but I felt like a few of them made the effort to speak English. Or at least do what they could to grab your attention. Like Joanderson Anderson Brito, he had a nice fight, great finish, and then of course zero English it seemed like, except for I caught on to he wants to fuck Danny Gay up. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? And it took us a while to get through it, and Bisping helped out, but then we got the message. But guess what? Danny Gay replied, "We might have ourselves a fight. The UFC is going to Sao Paulo later this year." Danny game might be a, a road warrior and go out there. So that was a good connection by a guy that knows he doesn't speak English, but he said, but at least he said something that attaches him to a name. Like the same way, like this guy, uh, Renat, who fought Kevin Lee. Dude, we're like, who are you again? You know what I mean? But we're not going to mm-hmm. forget now going forward, you know, the guy that knocked down Kevin Lee and then choked him. True. It was like a modified uh, power sub, you know, that he had on that guillotine. And so, guess what? All that was made off of Kevin Lee's name. You know what I mean? And Joe Anderson Brito, 
even though he didn't defeat Dan Ige, Dan Ige's on the radar. So I thought at least the guys, um, they they stepped it up. It can be better, but I thought they stepped it up at least. There was some, you know, some broken English or whatever. But but at that point in time, I you know I felt like some I'm seeing more effort from the from the athletes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we'll see. We move on. Here's another good one. Benoit, oh sorry, Benoit Saint Denis. It's a good oh, one. And by the way, man, all of you, all of you in France, it, it is terrible what's going on over there. I really hope that that situation gets resolved. I think they're on day five of riots. And trust us, as Americans who have seen the injustices of, you know, a police shooting, right? Um, a topic that goes both ways. You know, there's some cops that have done their job to the best of their ability and lives are still lost. And then there's been obviously some bad cop story. We get it. Okay. But, um, we're sympathetic to it, but geez, I mean, th- this isn't the way to resolve it. You know, there's what's called peaceful protesting, but making it a powerful statement. And then there's this thing that's happening where cities are getting burned to the ground and like that, that's not good. That's not good. So, um, hopefully they can resolve it. But getting back to, uh, Benoit Saint-Denis, who, by the way, I wish you would have said something about this topic. It looked like he wanted to, but Bisping was walking away. But it's not on Bisping, because Bisping has a certain amount of time, and he spent other time saying other stuff, which I don't blame him. And this is what I'm getting to. First of all, beautiful finish uh, over Ismail Monfim. Uh He had a submission there, a rear naked choke. He was kicked him in the liver. I think he broke broke his arm or something from all those kicks, trying to block it. And then he had a beautiful call out. I think you mentioned Rafael Fiziev, Mateos Gamrat, and I thought Armand Sarukian, but I see he had a little bit broken English, but still mm-hmm. pretty good. With he threw those names out there. And with the UFC going to Paris and him having this early finish, this thing's possible. So again, we are connecting dots. Dude, what's going on in France right now is is pretty nuts. Like I I can't even imagine what it would be like to be in the middle of something like that. But he had the type of performance where you can do those types of things. You can call people out when you look like that. Yep. No, it was fun, man. Like he's a dude I'm not gonna forget. Me neither. Me neither. Great finish and um great call out. So I hope he he gets what he asked for. Now look, some of those guys are up there, man. All of them actually Fizio just fought Gagey for crying out loud. Gamrod just fought uh Darius Sarukian. Lost the game, right? And then he's come back with a couple wins. Most recently, just the other day. So, either way, you know that's the way it works. And uh, I'm, I applaud him for doing that. So, like I say, I love the way the afternoon was unfolding with the next set of the next wave of possible stars. You know, planting their flag. Ariane Lipsky defeated Melissa uh, Gatto. Split decision here. It was pretty close. I thought Lipsky was more powerful and damaging. Gato was more busy. So that was a close one. But because I bet Lipsky, I was happy. You were um, probably nervous, I, though, because they both had I their moment. I was, man. I really was. But guess what? I've gotten screwed on so many calls that even on some of like some like these, I don't feel guilty one bit. Michael Morales defeated Max Griffin. Man, great fight. Morales looked big in there against Max Griffin. 
Griffin would not go away, goes. And just like, like I suspected, because it was 29-28 across the board, it was 1-1 going into the third. I don't think that takedown sealed it, but it didn't It didn't hurt Morales at the end. Morales was just busier and more damaging. But I think Griffin, maybe if he would have pressured Morales, because Morales was having trouble with his eye, um, he had him going back. He had kind of like survived a few storms from the bigger fella. And he had, you know, shaken his confidence a bit. But then Morales got a new wave of it and put it on him in round three. But it was there for Griffin to win that fight. I was bummed because I, I like them both, you know. But I've known Griffin longer, so I guess I was kind of hoping that that he, he he would take this one down. Yeah, it was a fun fight because early on, I mean, I had Max winning round one. And then it kind of just had that tale of, like, you see this in boxing a lot too, where that younger guy just finally finally has that moment where, all right, it's shit or get off the pot, right? What's going to happen here? He's, his eye looks pretty damaged. Is he going to fold? Is he going to come back? And I was actually leaning towards, I think this kid's going to fold. Like, I, I just think he's overwhelmed right now. And he's he went up against a veteran that uh, a lot of people have counted out. And I don't think that's uh, deserving because Max is always a tough out. But uh, Morales turned things around and evened it up. But even then, going into round three, you didn't have that feeling like, oh, my God, the, the momentum has shifted so much, even though the, the odds did kind of go up a lot. And then Max even had a, a few moments there at the end. And then uh, Morales was able to put the fight away. But that just shows you two things. You know, Max Griffin's never going to go away. He's still a very tough out. And second, we we know what happens when the shit hits the fan. Morales will find a way to regroup and, and win a fight. That says a lot about him. Yeah. And this guy was bred for it. You know what I mean? Coming from that lineage of the mom and the dad, both having black belts in judo. Uh, I think the mom even competed at a international level. And now she like referees judo. And then the dad, who also uh, teaches judo as a black belt, having the um, wherewithal at an early age, to, early age to also put him in wrestling, it's almost like they knew, okay, we got ourselves, you know, a talent here, but let's make sure we we're not caught with our pants down. Where, you know, you don't think of Ecuador as a country that wrestling's at the forefront, right? But they found something where they could make it happen. And he started learning wrestling to go with the judo. And of course he's got power in his hands. He's athletic, man. He's looking really, really good. And now he's 14 and 0 goes four and 0 in the UFC repping Ecuador, just like Marlon Vera. Yeah. Quite a few uh, fighters ripping that flag now. Yeah. Um, so again, love the way the fights are unfolding. And then we get to Grant Dawson versus Demir Ismagulov. And I thought, okay, now we're at the actual, you know, uh, let's see what the, the co-main and the main can deliver here. It's just cherry on the Sunday because I've already enjoyed myself all throughout the day. And Grant Dawson, dude, he was so dominant that it, it was like going to, a, going to a Super Bowl, you know, 20 years ago when Super Bowls were like 52 to 17 or you know, 51 to 10 or whatever, you know. I mean, your Redskins smoked, I think, a few teams in the Super Bowl. I know the Niners put put, put some on the Chargers, but you know what I'm talking about, right? Just kind of like a letdown, but yet, mm -hmm. but yet, the the dominance spoke for itself. 
back on they called it the super bore right like i think we took out buffalo denver in that way you guys took out the chargers like that i i was a little bit more interested because he was so dominant that i thought at the end of round one he can't do that again and then he did it again and i was like holy shit easily too body triangle like that I, i was thinking like am i dumb like have i not seen do i not remember grant fighting uh, I just didn't. I, I I like him, and I know he's good. And I, for a long time, I've been saying he's a lot better than people know. But I didn't know he could do something like this. Yeah, and you even can't say, "Oh, here we go again," because no, Grant Dawson usually finishes to tell you the truth. But in this occasion, Isma Gulov's a tough sob, but he mm-hmm. controlled him, man. Uh, Isma Gulov had no answers for it. He was usually fighting off, you know, the punches to the back of the head—not the real back of the head, but you know, from from him having the body triangle, he was controlling him, or some elbows, or attempts at you know taking his neck. But Ismail Gulak just had no answers, and and Grant Dawson was very very dominant. But guess what he did? What he did was, I think, get the attention of the champion one way or another. Because think about it. Okay, the winner of BMF. Gaethje versus Poirier. Can they stop Islam from doing what Habib did to either one of them? Both of them, I should say. You know what I mean? Charles Oliveira, same thing. If it's on the feet, of course, he can do well against Islam. But if Islam gets him down and starts grounding and pounding, what can happen? Well, hell, now you actually have to consider, could Islam stop Dawson, you know, from doing what he's been doing? Uh, or, or, you know, will they maybe lock horns and maybe have to settle it on their feet because both of their their wrestling and their overall grappling is just so strong that they can nullify each other. Yeah. So huge, huge win for Dawson. He mentioned Makashev. He mentioned a few other names. I wish he would have been a little bit more firm, but because like I'm telling you, he really sent a statement. Folks, all we've been talking about is who can fight Makashev? Well, probably the winner of Darius and Oliveira, but that's running it back because he beat Oliveira already a year ago, less than a year ago. Maybe Volkanovski, if he can get past Yair, right? But now all of a sudden, we got Ilya Tapura knocking on that door, so he might have to stay busy there. Okay, well, maybe the winner of the BMF. You know, both of these guys lost to Habib, but no one lost to, to Makashev, and they sell tickets. Yeah, that's a possibility. Well, what if Connor? What if Connor gets in the pool and he beats Chandler or whatever, you know? But now we have to honestly say, well, what about Grant Dawson? Mm-hmm. And I have an opinion on this, but guess what? If you want to hear it, you got to tune into Spinning Back Click tomorrow. How many times have we told you guys, if you like this show, you're going to love Spinning Back Click, which is basically this show on steroids with some more of our colleagues in there having some fun. This is definitely going to be a, a topic we're going to be talking about tomorrow. Noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific. Just go to the site and follow the links, or you can go straight to the YouTube channel and subscribe, youtube.com forward slash MMA Junkie Video. And if you happen to be doing that as you listen, please subscribe, hit that little bell so you'll be notified when we're on live. And what really helps the algorithm, and that's why you hear all the YouTubers say it, smash a like, <laughs> you know, give us a like on that uh and a comment of course and a share whatever you can it, it it all helps and it would mean a lot to us we're trying to grow that youtube channel the same way we've grown the website and our other social media it's just 
got a little bit of a late start. We also got a TikTok out there, so be on the lookout for that for all, all you that like to TikTok. Anyway, we get to the main event, and uh, my nephew Marcus says, "Unk, give me the quick one. Give me the quick skinny." Like, all right. Uh, either Abus Magomedov wins this early because he's so powerful and he goes for it, you know, or Strickland wins by decision. Well, in, in a way, I was kind of right because Magomedov did go after him in the first round. Uh, but guess what? I, what I thought might happen happened, and he just started to, to wither. I just didn't know Strickland was going to get out of there three rounds earlier. He finished um, Magomedov, and it was very, very impressive. Huge, huge win for Sean Strickland. Uh, now that's 2-0, and one at light heavyweight earlier this year, if we recall. Uh, and now this fight, and apparently he's gotten paid well because he's kind of subbing in at late notice. So, you know, good on him. The other one was the Nasruddin Imovov win from uh, January of this year. So Sean Strickland, who was absolutely heartbroken after losing Fajeda and, and Cannoneer back-to-back, is now the man, and he's asking for Israel Adesanya. Mm-hmm. So the question is, can this dude leapfrog? Will that situation come up? I think when people do favors for the UFC like that, they uh, they tend to get a little bit, a little bit more opportunities than others. However, I just don't know if it's enough, man. The the good thing that he has on his side is the fact that it's a fresh matchup, right? We've seen Izzy beat up on so many different people. This would be something fresh, but the UFC kind of put themselves in a hole in some of the things that they've said in the past. And now it's just a question of, do they stick with what they say? Yeah. And you know, Strickland seven and two is a middleweight. His only two losses again, Cannoneer and Pajeda, two guys that fought for the title. One guy actually became champion, but both of those guys have lost to Israel Adesanya, the current champion. Um, and and so they're kind of a little out of the picture. Although to be fair, Cannonier was very impressive against Marvin Vittori, so Strickland might have a problem there. Uh, Whitaker, as you know, who is very favored to beat Drikas Duplessis at UFC 290 this Saturday, he's awesome. I think he's like 13 and two as a middleweight with the only two losses to the same guy, Israel Adesanya. Other than that, he's clean house. But he's 0 and two against the champ. You know how that goes? It's tough to get that third fight. But if he smashes Drikas Duplessis. Then you got a three-horse race. Whitaker, Cannoneer, Strickland. Whitaker 0-2 against the champ. Cannoneer 0-1 against the champ. Strickland, nope. Right? And so Strickland finishing the fight early. You, you know, I don't think he got, unless he broke his hand on Magomedov's face, he should be good to go for Sydney. So he might have just stolen the show. Uh, good for Sean Strickland. I know he's controversial. He's not everybody's cup of tea, but it's our job to just talk about the fights. And as you know, the UFC don't do woke over here, so they're all they're looking for is just who can sell, who can sell, who can fight, and fill up these pay per views. Yeah, and you know what? Like you got to kind of give uh, Strickland his props in the sense that we've all kind of known who he is as far as how he fights, but in this one, he did kind of have a little bit more explosion when he needed it. You know, mm-hmm. when hit when when he saw that he was hurt, he kind of went after him, and he went after him with with a little bit of a different arsenal than what we're used to seeing. It looked like he did maybe listen to his coaches a little bit more than he usually does. So maybe this dude's starting to evolve. Who knows? Yeah. Um, now's the time. Like I say, you know, Cannoneer looked great, but he's fought Izzy before. And remember, the champions at some point kind of have a say. Israel has 
five title defenses. So I think he gets a say in who and when he fights next, especially because Izzy's been a busy bee. He's fought a lot for the UFC. So I think the UFC consults him, right, when they do the matchmaking. Whereas Aljo, for example, who's getting there, who really, really is getting there, but he's not just there yet. The UFC seems to tell him, this is where you're fighting, player. Take that. Mm-hmm. You know, that's why the whole thing with August so soon against O'Malley. You remember that a few months ago? Yeah. It, it happened that way because he just doesn't seem to have that pull. But Izzy does, and maybe Strickland can get under his skin uh, like he did at that press conference uh, and, and and go out there and fight the guy in, in his territory. Not not New Zealand, but close enough in Australia. It ain't hard to do. I mean, unfortunately, with, with Israel, it's not that hard to get under his skin. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so the bonuses went to Elvis Renner and Guram Kutaladze for Fight of the Night, Sean Strickland and Narsultan Rubizov for Performance of the Night. So you all know who Strickland is. I told you about Renner and Guram uh, Kutaladze. That was a great fight. But Narsultan, just to remind you all, he's the fella that beat Bruno Fajeda, the undefeated Brazilian middleweight. Now, I'm only going to say this because I just want to stay consistent and I'll make it quick. Where's the bonus for Joe Anderson Brito? All right. That was pretty nice. And Renat Fakredinov, who defeated Kevin Lee, where's his? Where's Benoit Saint-Denis bonus? You know what I mean? Like, that's the thing about, you know, like, on one card, they all get it. On other cards, when there's actual violent finishes, and these guys are pouring their heart out, nope, nope, we stick to the rules. I'm not going to even try and pronounce that guy's name, but the guy that beat Kevin Lee, I guess my question is this. If he goes into a room with Sean Shelby, McMaynard, and Dana White, and he asks, what could I have done to get the Mm -hmm. bonus? What, What did I do wrong? I don't know that they have an answer for him. There, there is like what could I have done better? Should I have done it in thirty seconds? What, what can I do? Exactly, and I beat Kevin Lee, a former mm-hmm. title challenger. What do you want so from me? What, do I need what, to, what do, I need I do? The fight to go longer? Does the fight it need to go quick, longer? And it was on ESPN. What do I need to do exactly? And I don't want to hear about this. Dano, send him a check. No, we've talked to a few fighters where that hasn't happened. So that's just what you hear, but what really happens. And look, maybe there's times he has, because we have heard of cases where he has sent out checks. Yes, 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 yes. But the 50 grand up front, that's transparent, and that's just kind of the way it should be. You just can't do it for some shows and not others. And I've seen I've seen it happen for fight nights at the Apex. So I don't want to hear about the gate or nothing like that. I've also seen shows where the gate has been almost 20 million, 15 to 20 million, somewhere in that, and they just stick to the whore. So I, I, I just don't get it. I I really don't. And I'm going to hammer this to death until hopefully it happens one day. All right, folks, there's your card. Um, we were going to talk about UFC 290, but it's time to talk to our guest, John Anik, who's calling the fights. But in about a week here in Las Vegas, UFC 290, we'll be right back with Anaconda. Junkie Nation, what's going on? 
We brought him back, the GOAT of PvP. John Anik joins us here. He is also the host of the Anik Emporium podcast, uh, and he'll be calling the fights. UFC tonight, he does all the big shows. What's going on, John? Fellas, always good to be with you, especially the week before a monster like this. There's nothing quite like International Fight Week when it comes to my annual schedule. The UFC Hall of Fame induction ceremony is a labor of love, but a huge deal for us uh, as a company. And uh, that's sort of the fight before the fight for me. But uh, yeah, wheels up on July 4th and uh, be in Vegas for about a week and I wouldn't have it any other way. I don't know if you're like us. They're all special, right? I mean, there's some big names on that Hall of Fame born in this year. But believe it or not, Jens Pulver is the one that really tugged on my strings. How about you? I mean, are they all the same for you or are any of these special for you? Well, certainly the Jens Pulver one resonates with a lot of the avid mixed martial arts fans out there. And his manager, Brian Butler, sort of had this underground campaign going over the last several years to try to get Jens Pulver where he rightfully belongs in the UFC Hall of Fame. So yeah, in terms of my emotions on that particular night, I think they'll be at their most elevated when Jens Pulver uh, accepts that distinction because it felt like an eventuality, but you just never know, right? UFC president Dana White is the arm that determines who is going to be in the Hall of Fame and when they go in. And unlike some of these other Hall of Fames, there isn't necessarily hard and fast criteria. We have four different wings. There isn't necessarily a waiting period, except maybe for the fight that goes in. And that's usually five years. So uh, our Hall of Fame is great. I think it will only continue to improve. But thankfully, Jens Pulver's getting in. And uh, he's obviously a big part of our class of 2023 here to be inducted in uh, less than a week now. My gosh. Funny you should bring up the fight. Uh, the fight wing I wanted to ask you is there a fight that you could uh, put some shine on that a lot of us forgot about and just doesn't get talked about when we bring up hey what should go in next the lead horse Mark Hunt Antonio Bigfoot Silva on Larry Bird's birthday December 7 2013 Dateline, Brisbane, Australia, one of the greatest <laughs> heavyweight fights in UFC history. It happened in the AM in Australia. And I remember me and Kenny Florian saying to each other as we were uh, walking out of that arena, getting soaked by the sun in Brisbane. And we were just thinking, man, I hope people in the U.S. are watching this. And uh, I'm not sure they were right back then. That was one of our smaller shows. And it was insane. It was absolutely insane. So I would encourage folks to go to UFCFightPass.com and look at that one. And, uh, you know, sometimes you don't know promotionally where certain athletes stand. Obviously, Mark Hunt and the UFC have had their issues. But to me, if I could put any fight that I have done into the Hall of Fame, it would either be that one or Matt Brown versus Eric Silva, main event Cincinnati 2014. Two classics for sure. I was just thinking, you know, when I was younger and me and the buddies would come home from a night of drinking, uh, sometimes we turn on the TV and pop in Pulp Fiction. I'm dating myself, right? Uh, Goodfellas, the classics, right? As you're on wine, eat some pizza, Taco Bell, whatever. And I'm thinking, why don't I do that more with MMA fights? Like, that's a perfect fight to just melt in your couch. You know, you come home, you unpack the fast food, you start chugging that water to hopefully beat the headache, and you just put on Hunt and Bigfoot. That was such an awesome fight. Actually, you probably wouldn't melt in the couch. You'd probably be on the edge of your couch. You know what I mean? Right. But why don't we do that more often? Like, it's, it seems like these fights do kind of just come and go. We need to reflect on the classics more, right? It is a great thought. And I think the fear for me is, number one, that I go down a rabbit hole and I'm up till 3 o'clock in the morning. And the other <laughs> thing is that I watch so much mixed martial arts for work right? And you can be sure every time I'm sitting in my hotel room and I'm actually doing film study, 
I do try to have a moment of gratitude to recognize that I'm being paid right now to watch mixed martial arts. But because my life is so soaked up in this all the time, I think I almost need that balance to like, dude, check out and go watch something else for a minute. But I absolutely love the thought. And Evan Longoria, all-star third baseman for the Arizona Diamondbacks, good friend of mine, big supporter of the Anakin Florian podcast. About a year ago, he went back and started at like UFC 6. And he was going to try to go back and watch as many live events as he could. I think that's actually fruitful as well. Could you imagine like just going back to UFC one and trying to watch every live event in UFC history, even like a random show like UFC 37 and a half might take you two hours to watch and uh, would probably effectively blow your mind. So I think both of those exercises are worthwhile. There just aren't enough hours in the day, my man. How far did he get? Uh, did Longoria get the did, 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 did report back? I think he bounced around, so I don't think he dutifully oh, think. went up the chart, you know, Got as it, yeah. was his initial intention. I thought of it as well. I think I'd find myself being gung-ho for about three or four, and then when I get to five, right. I'm like, fast forward, right, fast right, forward. Right. Why did I undertake this, you know? But, um, okay, another thing you brought up, you know, you did say Josh Emmett, and I was looking at your recent post that you did. Let's plug it, Anakin Florian podcast, blowing up. I see the merch there on your chest. Uh, and folks on Twitter at Anik and Florian Pod, and then of course for John, John underscore Anik. Great discussion you with Ray Longo and uh, Kenny Florian about the Josh Emmett fight. And hopefully I'm not stealing Goza's thunder because I know he brought up. You know, we were talking uh, prior to the interview. Th this is all I wanted to say. All I wanted to say was we discussed it as well, and um, I thought it was handled pretty good. You know, like in terms of your guys' discussion, but I thought what he should have done was, you know, they told him we need this, uh, you know, before he walked out from round five, and he delivered. Man, those first 30 seconds were amazing, and what I told Goes was, if they didn't stop it between rounds four and five, then at least tell him, dude, you show me something those first 30 seconds, 60 seconds, or this towel just has to go in, because mathematically, and I think they had a good idea that it probably wasn't going good, and he was taking a lot of damage. One eye closed against the guy that's just on that night. You know what I mean? Um, now, to Josh's credit, he came out and he was guns blazing. And then, of course, we hit a mark where Toporia finally just said, okay, he, he was calm and patient. He let that guy blow up. Amazing, by the way, each each guy's ability to recover within that one minute. Uh, you know, the, the cardio was off the charts. But um, that's all I'll say. You guys handled it well. I point people to that. Great discussion, but uh, I, I, hopefully we see more of those, and hopefully um, the interactions you've had with others will just stay in their head. You're you're someone to be respected, your opinion. You've seen enough of these, and now we have enough of a history in the sport that cycles to us seeing what the fighters are like 10, 15 years later. Right. You know what I mean? Well, I think it's an important discussion and I will always be fighter first, but I will also never be a fighter nor a coach. So sometimes my opinion can fall on deaf ears and that's okay. You know, I don't say anything I say for self-serving purposes. Now, when it comes to this particular fight, Josh Emmett and Ilya Topuria, I think you hit on something that I would like to see. I would just like to see the corner and the messaging include something to the effect of, hey, man, you better show us something here 30 or 60 seconds or we're going to call it and let you live to fight another day. Now, Josh Emmett is a uniquely tough athlete. Cerebrally, mentally, I still think he is absolutely all there. And I still think he is absolutely one of the top five or seven featherweights in the world. 
But the point I was trying to make on the Anakin Florian podcast is given his history of vertigo and facial fractures and all the stuff that he dealt with back in 2018 and how long it t- took him to come out the other side. I guess I would just like to see a little bit more thoughtfulness when it comes to uh, him absorbing all of that damage. And I do think for a lot of people, the ends justify the means. And so if Josh Emmett lands a big strike in round five, as he did, uh, then the corner did the right thing in sending him back out there. It's a long conversation. It's one that I'm more trying to open up than I am to fall on one side of it or another. I'm certainly not calling for Josh Emmett to retire. I think there are plenty of winnable fights for him, even residing within that top 10. Um, but I think you get into a troubling area when you send him back out there for the bonus, essentially in round five, because it seems like in a lot of respects, that's what was being done here. And, you know, I may have thought that Chepe Matascal and Trevor Peak was the fight of the night, but had Josh Emmett not gone back out there for the fifth round and his corner stops it, those guys don't get the fight of the night. Instead, Emmett shows even more heart, right? Even more dog than possible in any human being in that round five it ends up being the fight of the night and uh maybe the ends justify the means and maybe josh emmett's absolutely fine but i'm a mixed martial arts fan uh i'm a fan of josh emmett the individual and that was a 10-7 in round four and 10-7 to me means let's call the fight yeah i wasn't gonna add too much more to that other than i was just content with the fact that two people that i really really respect in the game were able to have a conversation without it getting ugly the way it does sometimes on social media. Um, I just wish there was more of that in our sport because, you know, you put in a lot of time. Danny's put in a lot of time as a fighter, as a coach. Uh, very well respected both guys. So I was just happy that you guys had that discussion and that, you know, you respect each other's opinions. And, and I love that, man. I love seeing that. So uh, that's well, all I want to add to that. And I, I know Goes and I are oftentimes aligned on some of these hot button topics, you know, when mm-hmm. it comes to fighter safety. And I know – from our pre-show talk that we're sort of aligned on this one. But Danny Castillo is a friend, right? To your point, like we spend so much time with these individuals and you get to know these people, right? Like I congratulated Danny Castillo for skipping Mike Malott's fight to go on vacation with his two boys. That was before the fight, right? But yeah, he's probably not going to like what I have to say, you know? And I'm not saying, hey, they failed the corner. I'm just asking the question. Right. Maybe they failed it, you know? Maybe they failed the athlete. I'm just asking the question. Yeah. Uh, I do want to ask you, you know, International Fight Week is upon us, and I know that has to be probably one of the, the better moments of your year, but also the most stressful. For fighters, do you ever notice, um, I, I don't care who you are in professional sports, but you can't tell me week three in the NFL is the same as a playoff game or something like that. Have you seen their demeanors change? Do you feel like they have more pressure on a big card, big stage like this with so many people in town and so many eyes on the sport? I think it can be a performance enhancer, but I think it can absolutely be an energy drainer during the week, even for some of the preliminary fighters, just by nature of the monster that is International Fight Week, there are just more commitments and there are more things to do. And, you know, there might be special fight kits, right? It really is our annual celebration of the combat sports leader, right? And fans descend upon Las Vegas and they get more access to these athletes than during any other time of the year. And oftentimes it brings in people from all over the globe. And I think for a guy like Alexander Volkanovsky, the consensus number one pound for pound fighter in the sport, an opportunity to be the last athlete to walk during International Fight Week 2023 is a special thing. How does it compare to him competing on major pay-per-views in Las Vegas in the past? Probably pretty similarly, uh, even though he's charged with driving this 
fight card. You know, generally speaking, I feel like the elite athletes, and I'll bring up Israel Adesanya and Sean O'Malley, these guys are detached from a singular result. So that when Israel Adesanya gets knocked out by Alex Pineda and goes down 3-0 in their martial arts series, he can still come back and beat him the way he did because he isn't so emotionally taxed and drained by the singular result. And I think a lot of the elite guys mentally are so forged that they get to a place where they can compartmentalize a loss and it helps them deal with the magnitude of, uh, of the biggest fight week of the year. John, I've asked you a lot of questions, but the next two questions are going to be directed more towards John Anik's gut. What does your gut tell you? I'm sitting here and I'm thinking about some of the fighters, the era that we're in, and some big-name fighters have left the UFC. Your name and your voice has been attached to so many other calls. On your wall right there, Nate Diaz, Francis Ngannou. What does your gut tell you? Will you call another one of their fights before this is all over? I think Nate Diaz will fight in the UFC again. And it's a great question. I like the way you formed it. I think forced to choose between those two guys right now, given the climate as we hit the exact midpoint today of 2023. I think it's Nate Diaz, you know, because I think he left on exceptionally good terms. You know, I'm not sure that his relationship with UFC president Dana White, if you read between the lines, has ever been as good as it is right now. And he left with that promotional blessing as others have, right? Jose Aldo left, probably had fights left on his contract, and he's competing under a boxing umbrella on UFC Fight Pass a few weeks later. I think they could mend the fence with Francis Ngannou, but don't you guys think he's at least going to have to fight once or twice for the PFL before a UFC return is even considered here? And even then, you know, I do think that he's lost a little bit of leverage because he left the combat sports leader. And I don't say that because the UFC cuts my check. I mean, let's be honest, right? So, I think a Nate Diaz return is far more likely than Francis Ngannou. I would say I am uh, I am not all that ambitious that we're going to see Francis Ngannou back in the octagon, and I'm not sure he necessarily wants to be there either. But Nate Diaz, I feel pretty convicted in saying we'll see him back, at least for one. Let me tell you a little story about our guts. When we're at a buffet or a restaurant, <laughs> a lot of times George and I have a secret code where we use baseball analogies, and we just kind of look at each other and go – what base are you on right now? Are you rounding third? Are you, are you hanging up on second? Um, trying to figure out how full we are. Right. In terms of your career, John, you've done so much for our sport. You've done so much. And you do have the luxury of if you wanted to call another sport, you could probably do it. You're really good at it. And, and you've done that before. Where? What's your gut tell you? Are you on second right now? Are you on third? Where? Where are you at? Well, I'm certainly not in the batter's box, and I'm certainly not on first base. I would probably say that I am on second base, and I have a lot of long-form conversations with my wife about this at this stage of my UFC career coming up on, I think, 12 or 13 years this October, having been away for about 120 nights a year for at least my eldest daughter's entire life. You know, at the end of this contract, she'll be in high school. And will it come a time for me to make a more selfless decision to be home a little bit more with the family, to try to strike more of a work-life balance? I really don't know. I love everything about the job except for the travel and the international nature of it that keeps me away from my family so much. But it's hard, man. Like these contracts go quickly and sometimes you just have your feet on the pavement and your head down and you're so invested in the work that you look up and it's like, man, am I going to make some major life decision now and and leave the UFC and be home 365 days and nights a year? 
I don't think I'd be happy that way. I have the job that I want. I feel like, you know, humbly, I was meant to call live events and not sort of be a highlight machine sitting in a studio. So I'm hopeful that I have at least another 10 years in me, but I just don't know how my body is going to hold up, how my vocal cords are going to hold up and how my family is going to hold up, you know, health is wealth. So I think it's idealistic to sit here and say, you know, that I'm halfway there and I'm going to try to do 25 years. Certainly I had a goal when uh, I became the pay-per-view guy in 2017 to, to do a hundred straight pay-per-views and we're not there yet. So I still have goals to accomplish. Um, but you know, I've missed a lot of things and that is, uh, that is the inconvenient truth of, uh, of my dream job. You know, I, I forgot about the family aspect and all that. I was thinking more your health and safety. I saw that tumble you took. I'm glad you're in the state <laughs> right now. <laughs> we got to get you guys, we got to get you a recliner sponsorship. The Anik and Florian, just a giant recliner for you guys. I'd love to see that. So over the last two months, I've been trying to figure out what is the future home of the Anakin Florian podcast. Is it going to be right here in my home studio that I'm in the process of trying to maximize or is it going to be somewhere else that wants to charge me $6,500 a month to use their space, right? So as I've tried to maximize my internet, I've been doing shows at my twin brother's house, my mom's house. And yeah, my mom needs new chairs. So I found that out the hard way three weeks ago on the Anakin Florian podcast. The chair completely crumbled underneath me. And uh, But yes, you guys see this sort of makeshift studio right now. But uh, unless my video is interrupted with you boys, I think pretty strongly that this is going to be the future home right here. So I hope it sounds good. Any plans for the big four or five? It's coming up. Yeah. So we're taping two episodes of the Anakin Florian podcast this Monday, July 3rd, which is my 45th birthday. And uh, I do think as you get older, you know, my 40th birthday was my worst birthday by far. It was just, man, I don't want to be 40. My goodness, you know, halfway to the dirt nap, if not closer, you know, um, but <laughs> I don't do anything for my birthday because it's always the busiest week of my year. So we'll have a little get together with my twin brother and my family on Saturday, which is tomorrow, July 1st. Then actually I can tell you guys a little breaking news. If you want to call it that I'm going to American top team headquarters tomorrow to do a 45 minute sit down with Dustin Poirier in advance of UFC 291. But then Sunday, July 2nd is podcast prep. We're taping two episodes on Monday, July 3rd. That's the birthday present uh, from me to Kenny Florian. And uh, and yeah, it's wheels up on uh, on July 4th. So for people who don't love their birthday, it's nice when it falls during the busiest week of your year because then kind of gets brushed under the rug. Nice. All right, man. Well, listen, we'll keep it short. Usually we're dragging your ass into the 40th minute, but uh, we'll, we'll keep it short this time. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. I know you have a big week coming up, and we'll be seeing you next week. So uh, break a leg, as always, and thank you for the time. Always appreciate hearing from you guys, and uh, thank you for the support. And uh, as we've gotten older, and maybe we just need to hit that record button when we start, but as we've gotten older, it kind of feels like that pre-show meeting is even more enjoyable than these actual conversations. So next time, we just got to hit record and just let it rip. We'll just hit record. Yeah, and we didn't even mention the fights. Marino, this will be his first proper title defense of the Undisputed. And then Volkanovski's going for number five. Uh, I love those historical ones because if you look in the history books, you know, the Ortiz's, Liddell's, Rousey's, they start to separate each other from some of the ones that are defended once twice three times I, I i've always been pretty fascinated with that great card coming up folks john will be on the call did you have any thoughts on those two title fights sorry i guess i snuck in that well one. no i just it is crazy right that brandon moreno now is competing in essentially his fifth straight ufc title fight of some kind and yet this is his first undisputed 
UFC flyweight championship defense. And it comes against a guy in Alessandre Pantoja who has a head-to-head win over him and then another win over him in an exhibition. Weird circumstances that really, really elevate this flyweight championship fight. And, you know, the betting line in terms of Yair Rodriguez and Alexander Volkanovsky, right? It's predictive in nature, right? Because essentially it tells you by nature of the money line what the probability is that a guy like Yair Rodriguez would win the fight. And I just feel like he has a better chance than he is being given by the odds makers, by the sharps out there. I know they're just trying to draw two-way action. Uh, But Yair Rodriguez is one of one and a very uniquely hard guy to prepare for. A lot of people suggest that maybe Josh Emmett is a harder matchup for Alexander Volkanovsky than Yair Rodriguez. I'm excited to see what Yair can do with the opportunity. And uh, you can be sure that he has Volkanovsky's attention. So we'll see. Cannot wait. Those are some awesome matchups. And again, we thank you for today's time. We'll talk to you next week. Thank you, boys. Well, to be fair, we chatted about everything but the fights. (laughs) luckily at the end i think we got a little bit from him there regarding you know moreno's first proper undisputed title defense and of course volkanovsky he's got himself a a killer on his hands Uh, Mm -hmm. he's going for five himself to tie israel adesanya as far as most current uh title defenses because amanda's retired and valentina's no longer champ so they're the only ones to He's hmm? just so much fun to talk to, you know, you, you, you can, you literally remember we grew up as sports fans. So like outside of MMA, we could talk to John for an hour. Yeah, exactly. We didn't even get to the, the Boston team's failures. Part of it had to do because the Lakers failed too. So there would have been too much of a leg to stand on. Although our Vegas golden Knights came through, but yeah, we've kind of messed him up a few times where I tell him we'll make it 15 or 20. Next thing you know, we're on minute 40, and we're still yapping. So he kind of kept it short. He's got a long week ahead of him. He's got a birthday coming up. Um, It's on the 3rd, for those of you that want to reach out to him. And, uh, and yeah, so we're always gracious of his time. Thank you again to John Anik. All right, guys, so it's fight week. Quick reminder to everybody, goes and I will be hosting a watch-along at Sticky Paws Studio on Saturday. This mostly works for the people that don't get the pay-per-view. 80 bucks is a lot. I get it. And if you don't want to get it because you – Got that block party box of fireworks or 1776. I think it was another one that was pretty popular. Then uh, relax because we got you covered. Tune into the watch along. We'll tell you what's happening in real time as the main card is unfolding. That's the pay-per-view portion. But join us for four free ones. The ones on ESPN. And that starts at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific, four prelims. And then over to the pay-per-view and uh, it should be a fun night of fights. Two title fights. And that featured bout of Drikas Duplessis against uh, Bobby Knuckles, Robert Whitaker. Yeah, it should be a good card. And, uh, and uh, I think we might have some surprises for the watch along, too. So definitely tune in if you don't get the pay-per-view. Yep. And because the sport throws a lot at us, uh, Bo Nichols also on the card. Dan Hooker versus Jalen Turner. Robbie Lawler. It's his last fight. He fights Nico Price. So, look, good talent, good talent on this uh, fight card. Yasmin, Yasmin Jaragui, 10-0 from Mexico. She's on the card. I'm sure her, Brandon, and Yair all want to win, come out unscathed, and maybe join Alexa Grasso in September for that uh, September 16th card here at the T-Mobile, which I'm not so sure 
if they're going to make it a pay-per-view or what it's going to be. But September 16th, uh, Grasso defends against Shevchenko here in Las Vegas at Team Wall. Well, I think the UFC will make it a, a, a big deal. So that's great. That's great. I think MMA needs to get more involved like, like uh, with September 16th, like boxing has over the years, because now we have the players. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Jack Ma- Della Maddalena, he's on the card, and uh, Jimmy Crute and Alonzo Menfield, so it should be a good one. Uh, I did want to say one thing, guys. When we were talking about how can you break out of your shell and how can you become a star, I want to give a shout-out to Kevin Holland because Jack Della Maddalena uh, needs an opponent. And... Well, I'm sorry. It looks like he's gotten one, Josiah Harrell, right? But he was going to fight John, uh, Sean Brady, and Sean mm-hmm. Brady dropped out. So this guy, Kevin Holland, said, "Tell you what, I'll fight Jack Della Maddalena, but at 175, because it's so soon, he thinks he doesn't think he can get to it, right? And then afterwards, I'll still stay on the card. Uh, that because he's going to be fighting, he's already scheduled to fight later on in." Michael Chiesa. Uh, in July against Michael Chiesa. He, he goes, I'll make 170 for that one. So I thought that was pretty gangster, honestly. And that's the way you do it. Kevin Holland was a guy that in season two, I believe, of Dana White Contender Series, week one, he didn't even make it because he said he had a big mouth. He chose not to go for the finish. So he wasn't even in the UFC. And then he answered the call, went 5-0 and in 2020. And now him and Dana White buy each other tennis shoes. So mm-hmm. he knew when to step up, and one of the ways was being active. But that call-out was awesome. And even though they already sh- filled the shoes for Jack Della Maddalena, I thought that would have been outstanding. If he could go 2-0 and against those two guys, that would have been tremendous on the heels of that Santiago Ponzinibbio win out in Miami uh, earlier this year. He still gets point f- points for even throwing his name in the hat. Exactly. And by the way, last thing here, uh, Henry Cejudo's out for UFC 292. Marlon Vera said, how about you, Peter Young? You want to step up? And like Go said, you can get more of that on Spinning Back Click tomorrow, noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific. But Ghost, tell me real quick, do you kind of want Peter Young to answer him and say, yeah, I'll be there? Or, or do you have another route that you'll share with us tomorrow that maybe you can tease tonight? I have another route, um, but I wouldn't hate it. If Peter Young right. took that fight, but but I do have another route because I don't. Think and that would, that would be big for Peter Young because he, he needs to get back in the W's. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So anyway, so yeah, unfortunately, Sahudo's out. I think Sahudo really wanted to fight the Murad Duvalis really and be on that card because beating Murad would have been a statement. That's Aljo's one of his best buddies, and I think you get under the champion skin and you're on the same timeline on the same card. That's how you get that second crack at him. If Aljo sticks around, who knows? But once Marab wasn't going to do it, uh, and then we got Marlon Vera, I, I thought that was good enough, but Suhudo can't go, so it happens. Anyway, folks, okay, that's our show for today. Thank you so much for tuning in, as always. Thank you to John Anik for his time. Thank you to you all for listening. Remember, be safe this holiday on July 4th. Enjoy it with family, the de- the, the day off. Hopefully some of you... Maybe got a uh, four-day weekend out of it, and enjoy fight week. We'll have you all the coverage for you, pre-fight press conferences, the media day stuff on the YouTube channel, uh, 
the Hall of Fame on Thursday. Uh, power stop, if that's your thing, results for that. And, of course, the fight itself. Uh, a, a live stream of the uh, actual weigh-ins Friday morning. All of it available on MMA Junkie with links links to our social media. And, of course, on Saturday, the uh, the watch-along with Goes and I, which we'll remind you of on our next show Thursday. So we're going to get out of here for now. Uh, we'll talk to you soon. Go out and be a champion, as always. Take care.